This morning's Old Testament reading is uh, from the 78th Psalm. It's the opening eight verses of that psalm. And uh, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He has done. For He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers that they should Make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them. The children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children. That they may set their hope in God, not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. And may not be like their fathers, stubborn rebellious generation, a generation that did not set its heart aright and whose spirit was not faithful to God. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. The New Testament reading for this morning is from the book of Acts in the second chapter, beginning at verse 36 and continuing through to verse 42. Again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Now, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other disciples, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Here ends this reading. From God's Holy Word. This morning's New Testament reading has come to us from near the very beginning of the book of Acts. This first non-gospel book in the order of the New Testament is the second volume in a series written by the author of the Gospel according to Luke. And in many ways, 
It parallels the accounts of Jesus and his disciples from that first volume. The book of Acts has been referred to as the story of the church, the fellowship of the first followers of the way of Jesus, of Nazareth, the Messiah, the one they understood to have been the anointed one long promised to come to the Hebrews. Reading Acts as a historical account of the early church seems particularly decent and in order on this Sunday as we observe Reformation Sunday and, and celebrate the legacy handed down to us by Martin Luther and those who followed him down the path of Protestantism. For the story of the early church was, in part, a catalyst for the changes that were to take place in the church that operated a millennia and a half later. Luther denied to the end that he ever intended for his concerns and criticisms of the Roman Catholic structures of the early 16th century should ever lead to a schism, a, a rupture, and the birthing of a new branch of Christianity. But it seems that divine providence kept the suggested reforms in the Roman church from taking hold. And thus, the internal quest for reform came into being in the form of an extrinsic entity, one that had no need of a pope. The differences between the two, the, the Catholic and the Protestant traditions, were, were more, though, than simply structural. They were deeply theological. There were differences in both their systematic theology, their understandings of Scripture and how to interpret it, as well as differences in their practical theology, how to live out, then, one's identity in Christ. Many of the reformers who associated themselves with Luther looked back at the origins of the church as they were described in, among other places, this very book of Acts. As they did so, they formulated a vision of the way their church might be more faithful to her head, Christ Jesus. And this movement gives rise to this morning's title of the sermon, which I thought was more befitting the spirit of the day than the alternative which had come to my mind, back to the future. It has now been three years since I delivered a Reformation Sunday sermon urging us to enter into a season of earnest prayer, beseeching God to reveal His divine will for the future work and witness of this congregation to reform us for the days that lie ahead. And since that day, Rehoboth has not been the only church to undergo some reformation. Few, if any, churches have been exempt from changing, in some cases quite radically, in the COVID era. For those who have survived thus far, it seems, knock on wood, that the worst is passing. But I worry that we may be too easily tempted to call surviving the pandemic 
good enough. Yes, we are certainly all ready to put the past two and a half years behind us, but going back to the way we were is not making any progress in our quest to discern what God has in store for us ahead. Unless, of course, we discern that where we were three years ago is precisely that place where the Almighty wants us to stay. And while that is possible, I I don't think that it's very probable if the story of Scripture is any guide for us. For Jesus didn't make it a habit of seeking disciples only to introduce himself to them and then tell them that it was really nice to have met them and then go on about his journeys, leaving them where and as he found them. No, Jesus and the movement he founded have shown themselves to be very transformational. Though he did spend some time self-isolating in fasting and in prayer, the majority of Jesus' time was spent modeling for his disciples how to engage with others and to call out to others and to serve others. Through all the worship and ministry we do as a congregation and as individual members of the church can rightly be described as our mission. That word has come to be more narrowly understood as the works that we render to those at a distance, some pretty close by and others farther off, as we attempt to imitate, to one extent or another, what Jesus has done. And this was perhaps one of the primary deficiencies that Luther and his fellow reformers saw in the church of their day. Instead of focusing on the other, near or far, the church had folded inward and was instead focusing on itself. Though I had some time to reflect on some of these things this past week when we were away, there's even a conference track there at Montreat offered just about every year. It's called the Mission Track. Well, things really didn't start coming into focus until we came back here to the shore. Well, maybe it had something to do with the work of Francis McKemmy and the churches that he shepherded and planted, the legacy of which we celebrated last weekend at the park that bears his name with his presence in our midst. McKemmy was gifted with quite a few talents. He wasn't content to remain in the north of Ireland to ply his trade, or any of his trades for that matter. Instead, he felt a compulsion from God, one that called him to be mentored by Reverend Drummond at Remelton, and to travel across the Irish Sea to attend seminary, and then to return and seek ordination. And then to respond in obedience to a plea for help from the faithful in a colony called Maryland. There to dispute with Quakers and Anglicans and the rulers and authorities. Or maybe it wasn't something from the picnic party we had in the park. Maybe it had something to do 
with the sign, the one that I keep seeing on the side of the highway. Every time I drive past the liquor dispensary on the corner of Dividing Creek Road, maybe you've noticed it as well, not, not the sign on the side of the building, the one that says closing, going out of business, uh, the other one in the grass closer to the road, the one that says not here for a long time, here for a good time. Is that really? Is that what it's all about? Is it true that because you only live once, you should live life to the fullest? Which means that you should get as much as you can. Be it wine, women, or song, but apparently liquor is an even better substitute. Are we really made simply to indulge ourselves and live the easiest and most comfortable existence we can? Are we church? Again, based on what scripture described, that's pretty far from the mark, especially the maker's mark. It seems we have been created different from the rest of the animals whose nature is focused on self-preservation and reproduction. Or maybe it doesn't have to do with this soon-to-be-no-more-package store. Maybe it's on account of an email that came this week from my high school. And and no, not the one announcing the details of next year's 40th high school graduating class reunion. Rather, the one that the principal sent that contained an excerpt from a note that a student had written to her former teachers at that school. And it said, in part, if I could take only one thing away from my time at CBA, it would be that whatever I do in life, do it in service to others, and do it with the same compassion each and every one of you showed me. That compassion and kindness is something that truly changed my life. Whatever the case or cases, the notion that helped awaken the reformers has been buzzing about in my brain this week. What is the nature of church? And what is this church in particular called to be and do? What's clear is that the church and her people are called to be in service to God in the world. That seems to be one of the foundational tenets that the church had forgotten in the centuries leading up to the Reformation. They had begun to exist for themselves to glorify saints of old and buildings. When Luther opened up Romans, and came to understand, among other things, that salvation comes through faith and not through some sacred rite of the church, he rediscovered a truth that had been either forgotten or suppressed for many generations. The church had a responsibility to give itself to the world and not the other way around, to preach the good news, to call for repentance, to baptize the nations, to feed the hungry, to free the captives. And that has always been best achieved by going out into the world 
as heralds and ambassadors of Christ, the head of the church. Although around these parts, this time of year is one of harvest, these episodes and others that have recently taken place suggest to me that perhaps this may also be a season of the planting of some seeds, uh, in, in me at least, these last three years, I have to admit, I have not had an encounter like Paul the Apostle on the road to Damascus, nor like John the seer in his cave on Patmos. But there have been incidents like those of this past week, which I believe are all pointing to some future direction, uh, a direction that is rooted firmly in the past as we humble ourselves to permit the church's regress as we trace back to the example of Jesus, of his disciples, the apostles, and the first century church, one that is informed by both the words of scripture and the keen insights of the early church fathers, as well as the reformers of the 16th century, one that is guided by our reformed confessional tradition, and one that is uniquely ours to fulfill based on our location in time and place and the particular history and spiritual gifts that have been bestowed upon all of us who are blessed to have been called into this body of Christ right here at Old Rehoboth. I look forward to reflecting with you on the church's past to discover what the good Lord has in store for us in the future. In our Sunday school class this morning, we were treated to some reports from the, the Lord's Acre program and the progress in the year 1954. We heard testimonies from some of the farmers who were involved in that program. How the giving from their own store of gifts had brought to them uh, a new and better understanding of what God has done for them and what God continues to do for us as we seek to be faithful. Looking back to orient ourselves for a path and a map that leads us into the future. And for that, we may truly say, thanks be to God and amen.